Now is the J cut, and this is the K cut, a movie podcast for movie lovers. I'm Andreas. I am the creator and main editor of Films Fatale, where we put up lists, articles, reviews, all sorts of good stuff. I love art house cinema, international cinema, but I love a little bit of everything. James here, content creator. I produce and release music under the alias Bootsy Paul, and I'm one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast. And because of this podcast, I pretty much will watch anything. I'm Rachel. I write for Films Fatale. I love classic cinema and international film. And lately I've been on a bit of a Twilight Zone kick, which got me thinking. I never really used to like horror. You know, I thought it was either cheesy or when I was little, I was genuinely scared of it. So it was just a genre I tended to avoid. But then later on in life, I rediscovered it and I found that I really liked it and that it actually had a lot to say. So I was wondering if you guys had a similar experience. Okay, so basically a genre or movement that we just didn't identify with, but there was like that specific film that changed everything for us. Yep, something turned the key for you. I've got an example that I always point to. So when I was younger, I just did not care for Westerns like at all. I just didn't get it. I found them slow, monotonous. They're all the same thing. I didn't get it. It's weird though, because the film that changed that for me, because if you know me now, I adore westerns, especially the good, like the really good ones, the inventive ones. I love that genre now. But the film that that took me to that place, and maybe this is why I discovered that new side of westerns. The film that took me to that place is actually the death of the original western, and seen as the one of the first neo westerns, and that's 1992's Academy Award winning Best Picture, Unforgiven by Clint Eastwood. And that was his final Western that he ever directed. Or straight up Western, because you can you can kind of get technical with some of the other things. But I was an Eastwood fan, especially when he was making films. This is before he became very mediocre in the 2010s. So this was like back towards the end of the last decade. He was making letters uh, of Iwo Jima, or letters to Iwo Jima. He was making Gran Torino. Invictus, which I'm South African, so there's a huge connection there. And my dad was a national rugby player, so again, huge connection. All sorts of stuff that was either good for me at the time, or I still really like, like Million Dollar Baby. So I wanted to see what his other Best Picture winner was, and that was Unforgiven. And it's like, ah, oh, geez, you know, it's a, it's a Western, but okay, I really like Million Dollar Baby, so let me let me try this. Now let me tell you, brilliant first off have either of you seen it i have not i have not seen unforgiven no basically it really does cover the thresholds of the iconic western and what they're going to become now or you know what they were were going to become then as if he had this this uh, telescope and could see it to the future because the other best picture winner dances with wolves it's a good film but it's still very much a tribute to how westerns once were with new technology. So Unforgiven is not like that. It actually feels like the last bullet to the head of the old Western. Like it's very ruthless with this. And it's in ways it's a throwback, but then it completely shifts into this dark, really morbid, bold Western film that ushered in a new age, which, you know, when you think of Eastwood now, bold dark that doesn't really enter the equation no he he seems to me very much like establishment beloved by the academy awards as a director these days 
Exactly. When you think of him now, it's it's almost like Spielbergian, like, you know, like the sentimentality, the good old American maverick director, la-di-da. In his prime, the guy wasn't afraid to take some risks, and Unforgiven is like the perfect marriage between what he was doing with like High Plains Drifter, which was completely counterculture, and something like, again, Million Dollar Baby, which is an awards darling, but a good one. So it was like the marriage between the two, daring, but also knowing what you're doing and staying on the right track. And it's his best film as a, as a filmmaker. So immediately right after Unforgiven, I saw The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which to this day is my all-time favorite Western. Maybe neck and neck with What's About a Time in the West. But otherwise, that's like the Western of Westerns. Also Clint Eastwood, uh, not directed by him. It's directed by Sergio Leone, but starring Clint Eastwood as the man with no name. That is like, if Unforgiven brought me towards Westerns, this made me stay. And I said, okay, I need more like this. And that was it. I, I discovered spaghetti Westerns, acid Westerns, even started to really like the, the classic stuff. So I have Unforgiven to thank for that. That's awesome. Yeah. What about uh, you, Rachel? Since you came up with a question, what did you have in mind? All right. So as I said before, my genre was horror and I never really liked it very much. Um, I think it's a genre that is that can go very, very well or very, very badly, but it's a very tight rope because you're pl- playing on fear and all of these emotions that are really hard to balance correctly. So I took a horror film elective when I was in undergrad just for you know fun and I needed to fill a spot in the schedule and it fit so I was a little apprehensive I thought oh I'm probably not gonna like any of these movies maybe they'll they'll gross me out and over the course of that semester I learned so much about what horror film has to say about the conditions the movie was made in about the fears of the population it's never really about the monster it's about something else some other thing that frightens us and the number one movie from that course that stands out to me is Let the Right One In. Swedish, not American. Ooh, Swedish connection. Yeah. So for those of you who uh, don't know the movie, it takes place in a suburb of Sweden, of Stockholm, during the Cold War, Blackberry. I've never been to that suburb, and I'm still pretty sad. And it's about a, I guess, a preteen boy. He's about 12-ish, and... He befriends another child who has something a bit off about them. And meanwhile, there's stories of a vampire being around in the neighborhood. And you can probably figure out where it's going. It's fairly obvious. But it's so beautifully done. It creates this perfect mood of the dark Swedish winter. And the friendship between the children is so sweet and so kind and yet there's this edge to it of fear. And so it's a horror movie, but it's also just a really well-done character story of all the people in this area. It's based on a short, no, a, a novel by a writer that I absolutely love, uh, Jon Abdel Lindqvist. It's the American version just pales in comparison. It has no way of capturing the tone that the Swedish one does. Pales in comparison, pun intended. Ha ha ha. But yeah, uh, basically, if you think Twilight was a travesty, this is a vampire friendship story told right. And at the end of the, the screening, my jaded film class that had seen a million movies at this point, good and bad, stood up and applauded. So I think wow. that that shows the impact it can have, even for people who don't really like horror. So I would recommend it. And I, I watch tons of horror now, and right now I'm working my way through the Twilight Zone. 
Which the Twilight Zone is a little bit of everything. But yeah, what I really like about Let the Right One In is it's horror, but I feel like I came from the opposite side of things. That's all I watched as a teenager was horror stuff, like as gory as it could get. Yeah, I, I remember watching a, a lot of horror as a kid. Yeah, yeah, I feel like there's this uh, stigma that horror has to be jump scares or gory, but you can be horror without necessarily driving for scares. You, A lot of my favorite horror films aren't even scary at all, but they're just well-made and they have fantastic things to say. Like 28 Days Later, not a single thing about that movie is scary to me, but I just love how it's presented and what it's saying. And the same thing here with Let the Right One In. Outside of its amazing climax, which I don't want to spoil for those who haven't seen it, um, it's a very gorgeous film especially artistically and it's very poetic i I love it it's almost like an adult fable like here's you going back to your youth but only an adult can like understand this angle of things so we're going to turn it up a notch with its mature themes let's say so very poetically not gory but like very poetically grim I, I really love that film. Yeah, and yet it's a very satisfying uh, movie. I mean, at the end, you walk out feeling fulfilled by it. Yeah, that's that's a great one. So we've got a Western, we've got a horror. James, where are you coming in with that fantasy stuff? Well, see, it's funny because trying to figure out my pick, there isn't a genre that I am actually consistently, or that I had actually consistently disliked until a movie. I'm going to bring up a film that I saw as a joke and thought was going to be bad and then ended up showing me how much I was going to love Steven Soderbergh. Okay. And that movie is 2012's Magic Mike. Okay. Magic Mike. Okay, so what genre would that be? That would be the uh, a dramedy just to keep it safe for kids listening. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what to call it, but it was something I just thought a movie with male strippers, that would be funny to watch because, you know, back in 2012, I was a typical dude who was like, oh, male strippers, this is, it's, it, I'm watching it ironically. And then it turns out, wow, this is actually a really good movie. And then that was what kicked off me trying to find out more about Steven Soderbergh. It's just for the concept to seem so silly and obviously marketed towards women, that is almost too well made. Everything from the cinematography to the editing. So even the acting and the screenplay. And honestly, I'd say this film succeeded where Showgirls failed, mm-hmm. being that it deals with a similar concept. And it was just, you know, it had all it had all the right ingredients for a good movie. Also, I mean, it and it wasn't even awkward seeing like male strippers. It, it and honestly, I think, you know, this ro- that role was made for Matthew McConaughey. I mean, who else to be one of the leads? And then Channing Tatum, I think. He's kind of, I don't want to say he's underrated, but, you know, I don't think people give him as much credit as he does deserve because sometimes he has misses, but sometimes he's just perfect for the role. Yeah, exactly. Magic Mike is interesting because I feel like this is almost like the reverse drive where people were going to see Drive expecting the Fast and the Furious and they left angry. You know, it's funny you say that because I was just going to say, much like Drive, it's like they both tricked people into seeing a commercial art house film. Yeah, but I don't think anybody left Magic Mike particularly upset by it, unlike Drive. You know what I'm saying? Where yeah. I feel like they got more than their ticket price, where it's like, oh, we're going to see this 
this sexy, sultry, whatever. And then they leave and they're like, that was actually really compelling. What was that? <laughs> like, Honestly, I was happy when I left Drive because that was what I first thought. I was like, oh, this is just going to be a, another car movie. And I was like, nope, this is actually amazing. Well, I love Drive. but <laughs> Well, it, it just, you know, it really opened my eyes to how well Steven Soderbergh can literally just morph into any genre he feels like, but still make it his own. You know, but like I said, it's like, you know, his mastery over just the technical process would make up for anything that that movie lacked. I mean, it was like it may have had stale moments, but even then it was almost necessary for those moments to happen. You know, and it also has that classic, you know, Steven Soderbergh is the director where, you know, he trusts his actors enough to leave them alone. So it's like they're always in their element at all times. But yeah, it was like me and my friend watched it as a joke because we thought it'd be funny. And then it was like, oh, no, the <laughs> joke's on us. This is actually really good. I love when that happens. Yeah, because then you discover something that you weren't expecting, which is always a nice surprise. And speaking of nice surprises, so that's pretty much it for the episode. So let's let's do some uh, something we haven't done in a while. Let's do some fast questions. So none of these are prepared beforehand outside of us creating the questions. We don't know what the other person is going to ask. We're going to ask each other some, some cinephile questions. So... Uh, James, would you like to start things off by asking us a question that none of us are ready for? Oh, okay. What is a movie that you despise that has a dedicated following? Oh, I could think of a million. Uh, Rachel, do you do you have an answer? I don't, but give me a moment. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. That I despise that has a huge following. Okay. Are we considering pop culture or like critically acclaimed? Either. I maybe okay. maybe commercial. Okay. So commercial wise. I've got a bunch, but the one that like sticks in my mind the most all the time when I'm asked stuff like this, the Boondock Saints. I I <laughs> detest that film. We've talked about this before, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um God, if I could think of another one, maybe. Uh let's say The Usual Suspects. I'm not sure if I brought that up on here before, but it was weird. The first time I watched this film, and I don't want to spoil it, I know it's almost 30 years old. The twist has been discussed to death, but just in case, because I don't like stuff ruined for me. So just in case, I'm not going to ruin it. The first time I watched it, I was blown away by the twist and I couldn't understand Roger Ebert's one star review. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized the twist negates everything that you see. So it's it's the cheapest cop out ever. Yeah, it's essentially a pointless movie, in my opinion. So, like, I've never seen it again. And despite that, my love for it has all but vanished like i just detest that film now and i completely see eye to eye with the one star rating it's that is the the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled convincing <laughs> an audience that the, a movie that's not great is actually amazing when it's not and it want for its screenwriting a good twist does not make for a good script that is that is some advice for some budding sc- screenwriters out there your twist can be a great device but your script has to has to stand on its own two legs. If the whole thing is nullified or it doesn't make sense because of your twist, it's not worthy of having a twist. Um, before I rant more and more about that, uh, Rachel, do you have a film? Well, I'm going to break your heart, Andreas, and say I've never liked Million Dollar Baby. That's all right. I still haven't seen it. Yeah, I just, I think we're, first of all, it's a Best Picture winner, and I think there were other better movies nominated that year. That's usually the case, but still, I just found this movie to be a bit mawkish and a bit manipulative. I think that we were seeing signs of the kind of Clint Eastwood we talked about who tends to play it safe as a filmmaker. And so this movie was really, it kind of got paint by numbers and I just didn't think it really deserved the praise it got. 
That's just my take on it, though. Do, do you feel that twist was manipulative? Because that also has a twist, by the way. Yes, I felt it was, and it kind of... Actually, I didn't mind that part so much, but I just okay. thought that all the relationships were sort of overdrawn, and it was just massively overrated. It was serviceable on its own, but yeah. That's okay. I like the film. I like it enough that it made my 2000s list, but I'm not going to pretend it's like the greatest thing ever made. So no, no qualms there. Uh, James, you came up with a question though. So do you have something in mind? Yep. The Goonies. Oh, thank Christ. I hate that movie. (laughs) It's, it's almost two hours of just kids yelling at each other and that's it. Oh, I find it painful too. Even from like a filmmaking standpoint, some of the editing just doesn't make any sense. Some of the background acting is just like gifs before they were gifs. They're like just aimlessly doing crap. And it's like, what do you like? What is this? Why are you just like hopping in place? Like, it just is an annoying, loud, poorly made film. I also don't like it, and I think we're like the only two people who don't like it. So, yeah, it's just. It's like someone tried to do the Steven Spielberg thing, but then just failed. He was a part of it, too. Didn't he help write the story? Oh, he did write the story. (laughs) I never put that together. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like, just people love it. It's like there's a certain person of a certain age group that loves it. And it's like, it's one of those things like you had to be there. Like you have to be in on the joke. I remember I met somebody once. um, I think it was a coworker. Actually, they said their favorite movie, two favorite movies as a kid were the Goonies and Top Gun. And I was like, that is all I ever need to know about you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) At least Top Gun has a killer soundtrack. That's it. Yeah, Top Gun's fun. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I don't love Top Gun either, but at least there there are things to like about it, like the cinematography and the occasional thing, I guess, like the music. But Goonies, I virtually detest most of it. There's like very little I like about the Goonies, very little. So uh, I'm glad I'm not alone. <laughs> All right, so uh, Rachel, do you have a question yet or no? Yeah, what is a genre you'd still like to get into or learn a bit more about or just wish you knew better? That's an interesting question. I might have to think about that a bit. Um, James, do you have anything yet or no? Hmm. Anything German. Okay, like German film. Germans make a good film. Any any movement in Germany. Because like the bits and pieces I've seen or things I've seen that are influenced by like German expressionist film. I'm just like, you know what? I need to experience more of this because you just got like really interesting things coming out of there. It's funny. Cause your last two smorgasbords have been German. Oh yeah. World, oh, have of, they? <laughs> World yeah. on a wire and uh, goodbye Lennon. Actually, you know what? World on a wire was actually probably what it did really made me want to. Cause it's like fast <laughs> that I got to see more of his flicks. Also, I've been meaning to dig into Werner Herzog's uh, filmography. Oh, he's a must too. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's like, you know, it's like there's art house and then there's like German art house. And that's like the only way I can really describe how I feel. But yeah, I just I, I've got a lot of homework to do in that regard. That's For cool. me, I don't know if I have a particular movement or era because I kind of solved a lot of that last year when I just watched everything and anything. But a proper answer would be Australian New Wave just so I could see more of it because I feel like I, I have just scraped the service of that. There's some really interesting stuff in that in that um, region and era. But That's another one I've been thinking of, too. Yeah, the longer answer, 
is like the abundance of things I discover through Rachel's column, where it's like all of these movements where it's like Colombian whatever. Or yeah, like, we found a really interesting Colombian one the other day. Whenever you approach me with new things where it's like, hey, I've discovered this film scene in like Lebanon where they do these these melodramas or whatever, and it's like, oh my god, there are so many things. I just do not have the time to watch all of this stuff, but I'm discovering all of these new things. And I'm, I hope... Hope all of you are too. If you're not, please check out the world of movies. It's a great column. Very. Um, I plan on watching every educational. single film included in that series, <laughs> There's including a lot the already. Antarctica slasher movie. <laughs> yes. Fabulous. Well, that's exactly it. There is an Antarctica slasher scene. I know there's only one film in it, but there's still a scene. So that's one what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> out of like, I've seen like maybe two or three of the things. Maybe a little more. Let's say like 10% of the things you've recommended. Everything else, there's no middle ground. It's not stuff that I've heard of. I've either seen it or I've never even heard of these. So um, that's the longer answer. Just all of that stuff that I didn't even know existed until your column. That's cool. I'm going to go a little bit broader and I'm going to say sports movies. And it's not that I haven't seen them. Like I've seen some of the really famous ones, but it's kind of... One writer calls it a dead key on my personal piano. It's just something I really cannot connect to. I usually get bored and play on my phone the whole time. I just drift off from the story. So maybe it's because I don't really do sports in real life. I just cannot connect to sports movies very well unless they're exceptionally well made or there's something else to ground it. Like Chariots of Fire has the sort of social context or even just that killer theme, you know? So... I would really like some recommendations for good sports movies that could um, help me win me over to the genre a little. Actually, to follow up, to follow up uh, a part two to my question that I answered, first part was The Goonies. Another movie I hate is Rudy. And it's like, I already don't really like sports movies, but that movie specifically, I cannot stand. I actually I haven't even seen Rudy, so I might just avoid it. But otherwise, the short answer is uh, Raging Bull, always. Uh, but oh, if, you want, like, an, if you want like an authentic sports movie, there, there are some really good ones. Uh, Rocky. I, I, well, yeah, I, I think I think Rocky's overrated, but still good. Um, I'm a sucker for Pride of the Yankees. Oh, he got game. He got game is a really good one. Uh, what I've discovered with sports movies is a lot of the best ones are documentaries. So like Hoop Dreams or um, the Lenny Riefenstahl Olympia series. Like a lot of the best sports movies are the ones that are real sports events. So. Um, the Last Dance with Michael Jordan and, you know, the the, the, the winning streak he had with the Bulls. They're, they're documentaries, so that could be your field. Oh, Moneyball is a good movie. Oh, yeah. I've heard good things about it. I haven't gotten around to it yet, though. That's tricky, though, because is it a sports movie or is it like an analytics movie about sports? That's where it gets a little tricky. Yeah, I think genre can be very elastic, you know. When I was thinking about yeah. horror movies earlier, you know, some people would consider Jaws to be a horror movie because it's got that whole horror beat to it, but there's not really a monster or anything like that. Well, there is, but it's not a supernatural monster. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And even then, like, the ending has, like, all of that, like, John Williams, like, happy music when it's, like, what is it, like, latching onto, like, the tanks, whatever it's doing. There are some stuff in there that's certainly not horror. I would still call it maybe a horror film, but, you know, it's not strictly one. Anyway... 
Um, going off track here. Yeah, Raging Bull's not entirely a sports-related film, but it's excellent. Moneyball, same thing. So I don't know. Maybe you'll like the hybrids. Yeah, I've noticed Criterion has a ton of sports documentaries on it, especially from old Olympics. So I might go into that. Well, they did that whole box set of like Olympic films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, those are crazy. Yeah. Andres, did you have a question? Yes, I do have a question. So everybody had to watch movies in high school. It's kind of a two-part question. So the first part is, what movie did you discover in high school through class, because your teacher showed you, that you absolutely loved and always loved? And the part two is, what movie did you watch in high school that you hated because it was like split up between like five periods in high school, but then you rediscovered as an adult and had greater adoration for? So I'll, I'll start off with both um, just to give you guys some time to think. The one that I discovered in high school that I absolutely loved, believe it or not, my high school provided a gothic literature class and my teacher was obsessed with showing us Hitchcock films. So I discovered Psycho. I discovered Rear Window. Um, we also watched The Birds, which I really like The Birds, but it's, it's not Psycho or Rear Window. Those I loved immediately. Like, that was it. I was like, I'm hooked. I love this guy. I want to discover more. And I was like 17, 18 years old. It was like right at the end of my high school. So um, that was fantastic. As for a film that I didn't really appreciate until after the fact, you just can't watch Schindler's List when it's split up into four different periods. No, my high school tried that too. And like, I still appreciated the movie. It didn't really leave an impact, did it? No, but like once I watched it, like maybe three or four years afterwards, I said, okay, this is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. But when it's like split up like that, it, I, I get it. And it's, it's, it's an honest thing to do and to attempt. It just didn't work out. But obviously now I adore it. But those are my two examples. Um, Rachel, do you have? Okay, I'll start with the bad ones. So when I was in grade four, uh, on the uh, so that's nine years old for people who aren't Canadian. Um on the in the last couple of days of school they do nothing but show you movies right and so they put on seven brides for seven brothers but the trouble is my classmates were little philistines and they couldn't stand any musical numbers so they fast forwarded through every single musical number in the movie so the movie wound up being about 10 minutes long and i still don't know why the teacher didn't put a stop to it but one of the popular kids would go up and fast forward until nobody was singing anymore And so I did not appreciate a single moment of that movie because we were so busy fast-forwarding it because, God forbid, anybody hear cheesy music from the 1950s. And I still resent that to this day because I'm like, who who, who let them... Anyway. That's almost worse because, obviously, you love musicals. We know that on the podcast. Um, I don't know if that was how you felt back then, if this was like the introductory one or whatever, but still, you watched essentially all of it you know how it wraps up i know a lot of musicals at that time wrap up the same way but it doesn't matter it got spoiled for you and you didn't even have a chance to enjoy it like that really sucks where was the teacher in all of this who's letting these little kids run the whole classroom <laughs> i i don't know you can't blame iphones back then because they didn't have them so i don't know what your teacher was doing but what good movie did you discover let's see for the good one hmm Okay, well, this one is distributed as a film, but it's actually a filmed play. And that is the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged. 
Okay. So it's a comic play where they attempt to do, well, pretty much what they say in the title, all of Shakespeare in the space of a play. And so they have to condense and they have to make changes and they have to resort to funny tricks. And it's hysterically funny. And I have been quoting it ever since. Um, I just think it was a great thing to show to a bunch of high schoolers who were bored with literature class. So that is an A plus in my book. That's awesome. And a very unique example, actually. Uh, James, what about you? Yeah, I don't really remember that much from high school, but I do remember my senior year, the English class was primarily watching movies, which is kind of weird. I was like, I figured we'd be reading literature, but I guess this is cool. Well, there was one that we watched that I didn't really care for. It's called Whale Rider. Oh, I love that movie. Like oh, that movie. Really? Yeah. yeah. yeah I, 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 maybe... I can see why you wouldn't care for it. It's a, it's a little safe, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I think it's... I could barely remember it, but you know, it it's the classic story of, you know, the girl wants to be the leader of the tribe, but the elders like, no, that's for guys. Duh. And then the whole, um, was it a legend of a, one of the ancestors who rode on actual whale. And then like, by the end, she actually does ride one or something like that. Yeah. It, that's pretty close to the plot line. Um, do you think you would like it better if you saw it again now? Probably not. It's it's just a little too safe, and it's I, I don't like films that are like almost overtly traditional in any sense. And it's like it seems like it's very rooted in a specific culture, and it's just like I don't know. It's just not really my thing. I, I might appreciate it a bit more, and you know, I, I it has an audience. Obviously, I mean, you guys liked it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just wasn't me. Especially like high school was where I was really getting in like the indie stuff and the art house stuff, like the really bizarre stuff. So it's like this kind of was like nah. But the film I actually did enjoy, it was uh, an Italian film called I'm Not Scared. Have you guys seen that one? No, I haven't. No, I actually haven't. Yeah, it takes place, I think I was reading, I think it was the 70s or whatever. It's just like this group of kids are playing in a desert and then they stumble upon this hole with a sheet of metal over it. And then they open it and they find a, another little boy trapped down there. And it's kind of like this class story, like one of them actually keeps visiting them and, you know, forms a friendship with them. You know, he plays with them, but then sends them back to the hole. And, you know, it, it was really well done. And it was definitely one of the highlights of that class. Awesome. And it was also subtitled. And I realized like, I that was like, one of those people was like, man, I really, why do people hate subtitles? It's not bad. That yeah, was really well made. Um, the acting was great. You know, it's, it's always fun to see foreign films because just to see different like cultures and just settings and not ones that are, you know, made up in America, like acting like they're in these settings when they're really not. Yeah, it was a, you know, it was a early 2000s. So obviously it was like fairly conventional, but yeah, I don't know. I was entertained by it. It's definitely something I recommend. I haven't seen it since then, but I might have to give it a, give it a go one of these days. Cool. Well, that sounds, that sounds fantastic. So otherwise we're going to leave you off with a few more recommendations. These are our weekly recommendations, but before we do that, um, please check us out on our socials. Rachel, where can we be checked out? We are under the K-Cut on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget that for our Cinematic Smorgasbord, which drops July 6th, we are going to be watching Supernova starring Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci. Which is the same day as mine and Andreas's birthday. July 6th. Yeah, I'm excited for that. So uh, until next week, uh, what would you like to recommend, James? I'm going to go with Enter the Dragon because who doesn't like Bruce Lee? I'm sure there are people who don't like Bruce Lee, but you're wrong. <laughs> That's fair. I don't know. It's just one of those classic Kung Fu movies. 
just martial arts movies i will never not watch like i'll watch it even if it's bad martial arts movies are just where it's at also bruce lee was just gone too soon I actually got the Criterion box set they released of uh, all five of his movies. I haven't watched it yet, but... Oh, amazing. Rachel, what would you like to recommend for next week? I'm going to recommend The Band's Visit. It's an Israeli movie from about uh, just over 10 years ago. It's a great little comedy, and it's in that surprisingly large genre of movies that are based entirely on a linguistic mix-up. So it uh, it's a door into a world that most people don't see, and it's pretty cool. Awesome. Uh, as for me, I don't know if I brought this up on the pod before, but I think it's a crucially underrated film. I'm going to go with the, uh, the, 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 the somewhat biopic, uh, Jackie by Pablo Lorraine, the one about, uh, Jackie Onassis, uh, right after John F. Kennedy's assassination. I think it's, um, a brilliant film. I think the problem is people see it as like an acting vehicle, maybe for Natalie Portman, uh, you know, all that Oscar buzz and they don't see it or the people who do see it weren't expecting how grim and pseudo art inspired it actually is. The problem is I I think not enough people who saw it are super familiar with Pablo Lorraine and and the types of movie that he makes. I think it's just a fantastic film, a very different take on what a biopic can be. Um, I'm very excited, uh, despite what's surrounding it, uh, I'm very excited for Spencer, which is a similar film he's making about Princess Diana with Kristen Stewart, who I'm not a very big fan of in general, but I've seen what he could do in his other films. So I'm excited for this too. So nonetheless, Jackie, which has one of my favorite scores of all time by Mika Levy, um, brilliant performance, very, very dark, very, very nerve wracking film. That's my recommendation for this week. I think it's criminally underrated. So Otherwise, that is the K-Cut, and now we are going into the L-Cut. <laughs>